Welcome to the Best Picture Cast. I'm your host, Kieran B. I recently completed my goal of watching every Oscar Best Picture winner ever and decided to start a podcast to review each one. Each episode, myself and revolving co-hosts will discuss, assess, and evaluate a different Best Picture winner with the goal to establish a ranking for the entire list. This is not... However, what we will be doing today, today we are taking a little break from our Best Picture winners to focus on this year's Oscar Awards. In doing so, I have um, a couple guests. One is one that you've uh, heard quite a bit on this podcast, and that's Joey R. Joey, how are you doing today? I'm doing awesome. I'm glad we're here. Uh, this is what we're here to do, right? This is what we've been working towards, and we finally get to do a What Should Have Won. Yes. Yes. We're, we're, we're 28 episodes into not what should have won, and we are here <laughs> for what should win. That's right. And, and as we always say in the opening, uh, this is not a who should have won podcast, but today, this is a who should should win. We're who talking should about, win, yes. right? We're talking about who should win. We're not giving predictions. We're saying who we think should win. But we also have another guest with us, and this is not a guest you've heard before, but you've heard of before because she's been contributing to the podcast since we've started this thing, and she's joining us all the way from the other side of the world, and that is Zita Catherine Short. Zita, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Very exciting to to have you on finally. I mean, we've talked, you've always contributed with, with questions on Twitter, and really from, I think, you know, because I've been re-listening to our episodes and I think as early as like the third or fourth episode, we've been mentioning you. So we, we finally have come full circle and have you on. And we're going to talk uh, about uh, the 2021 Oscars. Yes, yes. A very interesting year, certainly. If nothing else, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and since we started this up, uh, you have started your own podcast. And that is the 300 Passions Podcast. Why don't you tell, uh, tell the world a little bit about the 300 Passions Podcast? Well, we cover the 300 unsuccessful nominees for AFI's 100 Years, 100 Passions list. And they're meant to be love stories, but a lot of the nominees aren't. And yeah. I was fortunate enough to have Karen on as a guest for an episode on Ivanhoe, the Robert Taylor, Elizabeth Taylor swashbuckler. Yeah. And it's really fun to go through some of the entries on the list. We have films from pretty much every decade from the 1910s to the 2000s and a lot of great guests like Karen. Yep, that's right. And I, uh, Joey here uh, also was on an episode with you and Grant Z as well and uh, RDB also. And RDB, right? yeah, the, the, the crew. Yes, yes. We're, we're stressing people <laughs> yes, out across the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think that the other guys' episodes haven't aired yet, so we're still waiting uh, for those to come out. But you, you can get mine with Zeta on uh, Ivanhoe which was a Best Picture nominee, not a Best Picture winner. It was a movie I had never seen before, but we had a lot of fun uh, scratching our heads watching, watching that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I mean, I think yes, we do, you know, we do, BPC, we always do recommendations, and I think we all recommend 300 Passions Podcast. It's a, it's a great weekly listen, and we all listen to it pretty much day of release. So, you know, we definitely yeah. encourage you to go out, seek it out. Even if you haven't seen the movie, they're really fun, informative episodes. Yeah, for sure. And uh, always interesting guests. It's always uh, someone different and it's, uh, it's good to get a variety of, of people. Now, uh, Zita, how can they find you on social media? Well, I'm on Twitter at Zita underscore short. And then the podcast is on Twitter at <laughs> 300 Passions. And it's, yeah, it's pretty much easy to reach out to me. I'll follow you back. 
So. Yeah, that's yeah. great. And and you can get that wherever you find uh, wherever you find your podcast, Apple, Spotify, it's pretty much wherever wherever you can find them. And uh, if you're looking to follow us on Twitter, uh, we're at Best Picture Cast. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all those. Please subscribe, rate, review, all that stuff for both podcasts. We appreciate all everyone's support out there and listening. And it's going to be fun to do something different today. Today we're talking about this year's Oscars before they've happened. So, uh, and I want to remind everyone, we're not doing predictions. So this isn't like we're going to fill out our Oscar ballot and then you can make fun of us for getting everything wrong the next day. We're going to, we're going to say what we think we would go with. Um, we're oh, we've all seen the nominees for Best Picture. I think, Catherine, you've seen most of the movies for... M- almost all their major awards? Yes, I've tried. I, I tried to do all of the above-the-line categories and a lot of the technical categories. I haven't seen Mulan, for instance, and right. that got a bunch of technical nominations, but yes, everything above the line. <laughs> yes, gotcha. So there, we, there's a, I know I have a couple gaps. I think, Joe, you have a gap or two, so we're yeah. going to have to lean on you for those. So you know out there we're going to be talking about uh, a few of our favorite categories here at BPC. We're going to be talking about cinematography. We're going to be talking about score. We're going to be talking about all four of the acting categories, and we are going to be talking about the directing category. We're then going to give out our BPC awards, like we always do for movies, but we're going to do it for this year's lineup. MVP, LVP, honorable mention, we'll do a little recast. And then we're going to rank the Best Picture nominees, worst to first, the best way we see fit. So we're going to do our best to to get that out there. Last year's Oscars, I wanted to do something, but we were too new. Yeah. And it was just, un, it was unsure. Uh, I think we were only two or three episodes in when the Oscars were happening. So it was... Uh, not something we were able to put together this year. We're we're more than prepared. So yeah. we talked about it. It just wasn't able to work itself out. Yeah, and we're lucky that we're doing it here. So Zito, we're we ready to go. Yes, we are. So the first category we're talking about. And usually we do a little a little plunge back in time. We don't have to. So we're going to yeah. It's all current. It's, it's the mess current. we live in now. That's it. <laughs> Everything that's going on today is going on today. Well, okay. So the first category we're going to talk about is a category we like to. We always bring up pretty much every episode. Where we're always very big on it, and that is cinematography. And the five nominees for cinematography this year are Nomadland, Joshua James Richards, The Trial of the Chicago Seven. Fendon Papa Michael, Judas and the Black Messiah, Sean Bobbitt, Mank, Eric Messerschmidt, and News of the World, Darius Wolski. So I will kick this to you first, Zeta, just because there's, for this one, there's one that I have not seen. I have not seen News of the World. Joey, have you seen News of the World? That's the only one I haven't seen in this category. Okay, so so that would be my gap. But um, Zita, I want to ask you, out of these five, which one do you think doesn't belong? Well, I would say the trial of the Chicago 7, I think, probably sticks out to a lot of people just because I think we tend to associate this category with David Lean-style mm. epics where it's, oh, we're shooting in a foreign location, you get a lot of sweeping shots, you have this scope that seems to match up with these grandiose images, Whereas The Trial of the Chicago 7, while it deals with very important historical events, is mostly confined to either a courtroom or another room where these defendants are discussing the case, or occasionally they're outside. You don't get any of that vibrancy that you might associate with the category. And I'm not saying that it's easy to shoot a courtroom drama or a legal drama. I think you look at something like 
the verdict and you notice how you can really innovate with that genre and bring a specific visual palette to it. And the trial of the Chicago 7 is just sort of it's fine. It's fairly bland looking. I couldn't agree more. Joey, what did you what did you think about that same thing? Yeah, uh, Trial of Chicago 7, definitely. Um, I think if we're talking about that movie, I think more about it in terms of its editing, not its cinematography. I think it looked good for what it was. I think everything Zeta said is right when it's going against something like Judas and the Black Messiah, which is also kind of smaller, but also felt bigger. And some of the scenes they were able to make it feel bigger, where I think Trial of Chicago 7 felt tighter. When, when this award was announced, I looked at it and said, where is Promising Young Woman? Be, uh, because I thought that that movie was beautifully shot. I mean, there were elements of it that reminded me of American Beauty. And uh, the director of photography there, Benjamin uh, Kraken, I thought was really, really snubbed here. And I agree, Trial of Chicago 7 does not need to be up for, for cinematography here. You know, we'll talk about the movie and, you know, if you're going to recognize it for script... And and whatnot, that's fine, but uh, I did not see it here for cinematography. So I'm, I'm on board here with you guys on that. And I think there's a lot it can be recognized for, but cinematography is not it. And uh, I'm going to definitely really just parrot what you said here in Promising Young Woman. Really deserved a cinematography nod, I thought. I think that's... Yeah. Uh... So Zita, what would be your pick for a, a winner here in, in cinematography? Well, I was just looking through last night and I was struggling to pick in a way just because I will admit to not loving any of these movies and so that made it more difficult to pick a winner and I eventually ended up settling on Nomadland even though I'm one of the rare people this year to not be into the film as a whole. I will admit that it is beautifully shot and I think there is a great precision with which the cinematographer tries to capture these parts of America that yes there is this rugged natural beauty but you also have these downtrodden people who are suffering who are just trying to get by and they are able to make those contrasts in a way that doesn't feel too obvious. So Zita, are you telling me that Mank isn't one of your favorite movies of this year? <laughs> I thought that was one of your very favorites. <laughs> <laughs> she was saving that for real. Right. <laughs> She's like, that's for the ranking. Spoiler, number one. <laughs> I want to warn everyone, if you're a big Mank fan, you might want to just tune out now because my Ooh. Mank might take a beating here today. It's going to take a beating yeah. across the board. <laughs> that, that being said, I think if there's one category that I could appreciate Mank in, uh, other than the next one that we're going to talk about in score... Uh, it would be, I thought the cinematography in Mank for what it was and what it was trying to do was pretty solid. And I'm good with the nomination here. I think it might even be my second place choice here. But I'm going to agree with you, Zeta, for sure the, that Nomadland is your, is your winner here. For what it, it captured and the grand scope of things. And you brought up David Lean. I think this is certainly this year is the closest thing to a David Lean type of movie. And uh, I would go with that too. Joey, what do you think? So I went Nomadland here as well. Um, when I first watched the movie, my first reaction to it, I think I texted Kieran and I said, it's beautiful. That was my first take. I think a lesser cinematographer, I think it doesn't work. I think it could feel a lot of different ways. My second place here would actually be Judas and the Black Messiah. I thought that it was filmed in a way that, you know, made me feel anxious, made things feel big, made things feel tight. I think it 
really helped the movie along. I don't think it was better than Nomadland, but I appreciated what they did with Judas and the Black Messiah here. Zita, what would have been your runner-up? Oh, I think I have to agree with Joey. I, I do think that Judas and the Black Messiah, they very clearly tried to adopt this 1970s aesthetic in order to put you in the time in which the film is set. And so you do have a lot of dingy streets. There are times when it does feel a bit Gordon Willis-esque and I'll admit sometimes I thought oh yes the Prince of Darkness they're clearly trying to evoke that and it was a bit much but then there were other times when it did really work and it felt very sophisticated in a way that some of these based on a true story films don't where no offense to the trial of the Chicago 7 again but that cinematography does remind one of a television film all right, so uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good wrap-up on that. I like that. It's an interesting category this year. We're going to go to score next, and the nominees for score here are Soul, Mank, Minari, The Five Bloods, and News of the World. So, Zita, I'm going to go to you first as well. What did you think as far as score went? What was your favorite? This is going to sound like the most obvious choice, but I would go with Soul. I know, yes, it's the movie about music, so it probably has the easiest time incorporating that into the story and not feeling like it's just incidental. But I do think that it's full of life in the way that so many Pixar films haven't been in the past few years, where you look at them putting out things like the good dinosaur that just don't leave much of an impact. And I think with this one, the score is really bright and cheerful. And I think it really allows you to understand why the main character believes that music is his reason for living. And again, it does benefit from the fact that the plot is contingent on you believing that music is the most important part of this person's life. But I won't deny that Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross did a good job. Yeah, Joe, what do you think? Yeah, I have to echo everything there. I think Soul is the, you know, I haven't seen News of the World, but I think Soul is just really great. And the music's, music worked. It's, it hits a different, lot of different things. It's not consistent. It, it really makes you feel things. And I think Soul's the winner here. You know, there's, this year has the two Trent Reznor, uh, Atticus Ross scores and I think that from from the start it's pretty much everyone has looked at those two and said that that they're you know locked in for a win this year uh, I do want to shout out Minari's score I mean Minari's it was was the last best picture one I hadn't seen I watched it last night it is a really nice score it is um and I'm happy it got recognized there I'm gonna be a little just a little difficult just to rattle things up a little bit and I'm gonna go and because Mank is probably gonna take quite a beating here moving on moving forward <laughs> I'm actually gonna go with Mank here on this one. And the reason why I'm going to do that is, first of all, in a movie where I was struggling to find anything to do while I was watching this movie, um, the score kind of kept me entertained a little bit. Uh, I really, I really appreciated it throughout, throughout it. it was really kind of the lone savior of the, of the film. And it was for me as someone who grew up around Nine Inch Nails, you know, I was a fan of them uh, through, through high school and through college and saw them in concert and seeing Trent Reznor do like a, a 30s jazz type of, of score, cool. a throwback to the 30s is 
it's just very 30s, 40s. It's very interesting to me. So I got a kick out of that. Now, for the same reason I love the Soul score, because you're now watching Trent Reznor score a Pixar film, which is even more <laughs> of a mind blower. But I, I think that that's kind of the easier one that, that people will go to. I think Soul's probably going to win. But I do want to just say, hey, you know what? The, that was the lone savior of Mank to me. So I'll, I'll, I'll just, so it's not a clean sweep. I'll, I'll nod, put a nod to Mank. Respect that. I also would like to shout out here Ma Rainey's Black Bottom because I was surprised that didn't get because I, I thought the score there was fantastic. I really liked that movie um, and didn't get a lot of love here overall, but I, I think here is a place I definitely would like to shout it out. I was saying that it was omitted. I thought so. It was about music. Again, the main <laughs> character is a musician, so you would think it would be in there, but no, apparently not. So this is the last time that News of the World is going to come up for this discussion. Uh, myself and Joey didn't see it. Zita, do you have any words on News uh, News of the World? You're fine not seeing <laughs> <laughs> So you would not recommend that to us? No, it has everything that you would expect. Tom Hanks is very solid, but I wouldn't say it's one of those great Tom Hanks performances, which I think speaks highly of him, that he can be pretty damn good in a movie and you can still go, eh, not his best. Sure. But the film around him is a bit dull. I suppose if you're really into the Western genre, maybe it'll be for you, but I just don't feel like it does anything special with a very bland, basic story. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. It is It is always, I always do like to see when they throw their hat in the ring of another Western, you know, that would, I don't, uh, you know, it seems like it's a genre that can go forgotten. So I always like to see when a new movie comes out that that's tapping into that, that is getting some critical reception. So, but I will be honest when we were looking before the nominees came out, I actually looked at that. I said, I really hope that doesn't get a best picture nominee. I, I have no interest in putting time into that and I'll watch well, anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is, I know, I'm sure Westerns are probably not your favorite genre, Zita, are they? Not no, so much. Not really. But is there one? Is there a western that uh, that stands out that you would that you would recommend or that you did appreciate? Well, I am a big fan of the Oxbow incident, which you could say is more of a an anti lynching drama, but it does have the form of a western, and I think that's a really interesting one. It's probably one of the best message movies that Hollywood managed to make during that period. It's incredibly short. But it has Henry Fonda, a young Anthony Quinn is in it. And it's just very good at digging into some of those difficult issues in a relatively subtle manner. And it doesn't enter into the hyperbole that can sometimes come with mm -hmm. Westerns. Yeah, cool. Very nice. And so what year is that about? Is that that's a, a 50s or? 1943. Oh, early oh. 40s. Okay, cool. Wow. Okay. If I think I'll have to check that one out. I'll add it to the list. Okay, so we're gonna uh, we're gonna hop into the acting categories now. Woo! I'm excited for this one, and uh, I know that uh, Zita, you're always usually very invested in both of the actress categories. Yes. yes. Um, so we're gonna start with supporting actress here. Definitely interested in what you uh, have to say here. I'm gonna start with Joey this time, though. So we'll see. We'll hold we'll hold off on your uh, expertise here on this one. But Joe, uh, who was your winner? Uh, well, let me. I'm gonna read off the nominees first. So the nominees for supporting actress were. Uh, Yujun Yoon from Minari, Olivia Coleman from The Father, Amanda Seyfried from Mank, Glenn Close from Hillbilly Elegy, and Maria Bakalova from Borat. So, Joey, who did you have as your choice for Best Supporting Actress? So, I did not see The Father. That is my gap here. So, I will put that out there first. 
But for me, I went Yu Jun Yong um, from Minari. I thought she was fantastic. I loved her character and everything it did. And not to get into the movie, but, you know, at points I felt things very hard when things went wrong with her. So um, I think she did a wonderful job. And I, I really like to, I would really hope to see her get acknowledged and rewarded from that. Zito, what did you think there for that one? So I ended up going with Olivia Coleman in The mm. Father, which is probably the predictable answer. It's very much the sort of role that is tailored to win somebody awards where she has to be very concerned at many points and she's playing off against this legend in Anthony Hopkins and having to hold her own in that situation. I don't want to ruin it but the points at which you're not entirely sure the way that her character has been viewed is accurate. And so she has to deal with that. And I think she just does it so well. It's a seamless transition. Were you a fan of uh, her her win in, in The Favourite? No, I think I have her third or fourth that year. I still think it's a very fine performance. I don't begrudge her the win. And I think it's nice to see them rewarding somebody that we didn't necessarily expect to take it and it is a bit saddening to see Glenn Close of course not being able to finally get that well-deserved recognition but I would have gone with Yalitza Aparicio that year hmm. and she had no chance so <laughs> I suppose Coleman's win was fine yeah. I suppose I'm, I was okay with it, but I'd be really happy if she won this year, and I think it it would be interesting for her to win two in such quick succession. So that is a good segue because my winner is going to be Glenn Close oh, in wow. this one. Um, I am in the minority here of people who actually didn't hate Hillbilly Elegy. I, I I didn't mind it. I really, I, I everybody on uh, I know the critics buried it and. Everybody on film Twitter hates it, but I don't know. I, I don't didn't I, I was expected for this train wreck and I actually thought it was a you know, it was a rel relatively competent movie. Um I don't get too offended by quote unquote Oscar bait. I mean I think if it's you know, if it's worthy of winning an Oscar or getting nominated for an Oscar, it's worthy of getting nominated for an Oscar. So I think that she's an actress that deserves an award. Based on the this category and the people nominated, it is acceptable to give her a quote-unquote makeup award But because I don't think that her performance was bad. I thought her performance was pretty solid. I thought she was the bright spot in the movie. And I'm okay with her getting a win there. I don't know that, that she will. An event where people will be screaming and yelling, how did she win for that? I would be like, hey, she won, and you know what? It was a pretty pretty veteran performance that, that I'm okay with, with getting rewarded. Well, I have to admit that I'm really not a fan of the movie. And <laughs> I would say I think that Close is definitely the best part of it. I think she doesn't feel like she's being condescending towards her character, which to me was an issue with Amy Adams's performance, where I felt like, oh, you've never met a person like this and she's just over the top and the rollerblading scene it feels like she just went oh i don't really know what's going on here but i'm just <laughs> going to play it really big and that approach didn't work for me and with close at least it feels like she has some understanding of this woman's inner life and she is determined to play her as a human being and not somebody to be laughed at or to be purely pitied 
And one of the things that annoyed me most about the film was that our main character, JD, seems to despise everybody around him, including he hates the upper class elites that he hangs out with when he gets to go to law school because they look down on the people who came from where he grew up. But then at the same time, when we go back to the childhood flashbacks, he looks down on everybody that he's grown up with and he's so much better than them and he deserves to go beyond Kentucky. And so I thought, well, so you're a snob? in both ways and even his grandmother even her he seems to look down on her to some degree and i thought oh i can't support this yeah and i mean i think most of the critics agreed with you zita i think it's about a 27 or something percent on rotten tomatoes yeah, it's uh, but it, then it has like an 80 percent audience or so so i think it's just one of those uh one of those odd ones but i know if you if you uh, log on to Twitter. It definitely takes a beating. Yeah, for I sure. thought I was going to hate it. It's. I think it's a fine movie, but the when it came out, I, it just got crushed so yeah. early on. Yeah. Um. So Joe, which out of these these five, which one would you be the would you pull out first if you wanted to put someone else in there? What What would you think is kind of fifth place for you? Borat. And yeah. Maria Bakalova. Borat came out would come out hard there. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you too on that. I just think it's such a I mean, I, I, I commend the fact that it's in here because it's so non-Academy. Like, it's really so <laughs> not what the Academy normally would ever pick. But I just wish that they would have done something like that on a movie that was a little better. Because there are, there are comedies that I think have been overlooked over the years that, that could have gotten that slot. And I think it's, it's a cool story, you know, for someone coming out of nowhere. But, yeah, for me, I think they probably could have gone to someone else. Uh, Zita, what do you think? I would agree. I didn't think it was a particularly strong film. We'll get to screenplay later, but that nomination flummoxed me. <laughs> yes. And uh, I can say at least back a that you do have to commend her level of commitment to this role, because I don't think there's ever a point where you look at that performance and think, oh, she's only giving 20% of herself. No, she does go all in. And yet I didn't find it very funny. At a lot of points, I thought, yes, I can admire the complete abandon with which she is performing this, but is the period dance all that hilarious? I don't really think so. <laughs> 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 yeah. I mean, I think that's everything that needs to be said about that performance. <laughs> yeah, I, I, someone who, who liked the first Borat movie quite a bit, like I thought I saw it in the theaters and thought it was hilarious. Uh, this one I just did not find as funny. I thought that the one of the big things about the whole Borat gimmick was is that he's tricking people into thinking it's real, and he couldn't really get away with that this time. So they had to it, they had to infuse the storyline that was kind of like a little forceful for me. And I agree with you. Um, I think the word you used, uh, Zeta, was flummoxed on uh, its its screenplay nomination. I just don't get. I just don't get. Oh, how that absurd. could be nominated for screenplay. Absurd. But, but anyway, we're gonna we're gonna revisit the actresses in a bit. We're gonna we're gonna talk about the men first, though. So we'll end with uh, the lead actress. But we're gonna head over to the supporting actor spot. Okay, and the nominees for supporting actor are Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah, Lakeith Stanfield for Judas and the Black Messiah, Paul Racy for The Sound of Metal. 
Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami, and Sasha Baron Cohen for The Trial of Chicago 7. I'll go first this time around. How about that? Just as we'll switch it up a bit. And I, I, I would, would love to recognize Paul Racy because I thought his performance was outstanding. But I'm going to give this one to Daniel Kaluuya. I don't think that that's a huge surprise on anyone. I thought, I thought he was the best part of that movie by a pretty large margin. I thought he took what he did in Get Out and he took it to the next level in this one. And he put a face and a name to a historical character that I think is someone who should be a little more recognized than perhaps was before this movie came out. I don't know. What do you think, Sita? Well, I suppose this is a controversial choice, but I would actually go with his castmate, Lakeith Stanfield. Huh? And of course, that's an unpopular opinion just because there's all the controversy when his nomination was announced because mm -hmm. I think... Most people would agree that he seems to be playing the main character in the film. He is on screen for a long time. We're seeing a lot of events from his perspective. And it's hard to say that it's an ensemble film. It's just a very confusing nomination. Mm. But at the same time, I look at these five performances and I go, well, I can't deny that I felt that he was the most compelling on screen. And I think he really does manage to overcome what I felt was some weaknesses in the script for that film and Kaluuya I do admire his passion in his performance and yes you do believe him as a political figure during the scenes where he's delivering speeches but to me the script really doesn't do right by him because it makes his character slightly one-dimensional where he's this martyr he is this figure who is meant to be admired but it very rarely felt like we were going any deeper than the surface. And I think with Stanfield, he gets to play this character who is very obviously flawed, who is constantly dealing with this guilt. He's just weighed down by it all the time. And so I think he has so much more to play in most of their scenes and just benefits from that. But it's also a sign of this, this rising talent. Well, we can't call him rising now, but it does seem like the two of them are really cementing themselves as some of the best actors of this generation. And it's nice to see them both being recognized this year. So I can appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Joe, how about you? So I have a lot of Lakeith Stanfield uh, stock. I recommended Sorry to Bother You on our Cavalcade episode, Uncut Gems, Knives Out, everything he's in, I'm, I think he's, unbelievable and I'm always fascinated by his character but I also went with Daniel Kaluuya um, and I think where I was a little bit torn on the two and I was very much in the middle between Kaluuya and Stanfield when I saw the trial of the Chicago 7 and I saw another actor play Hampton I was like oh that's Kaluuya the whole way <laughs> it looked like he was the you know playing in the minor leagues versus a guy who's in the world series so you know I went with Daniel Kaluuya here but um you know, all the love to Lakeith Stanfield. Uh, anything he's in, I'm going to go watch because he's interesting in everything, which is great. I also thought, though, um, you know, for a One Night in Miami shout-out, Leslie Odom Jr. was good. He was um, he was interesting. He was creative. He was dynamic. And he, he, he kept that movie moving really well. So I, I like the nomination for him. Okay. All right. So um, next we're going to do who would be the odd man out of the supporting actor. And uh, I... I'm going to uh, probably not be popular in this room here. <laughs> I respect both of your opinions and both of your takes on all this. And, and I would always defer to you, Catherine, on these performances because you've seen many, many more movies than I have with this. But I 
personally, for me, thought Lakeith Stanfield was terrible in in Judas and the Black Messiah. Mm-hmm. I did not like him in it. You, t- you talked about a fish out of water, Joey. I thought he was a fish out of water. I thought the role was too big for him. I thought that the movie commanded him to be uh, something that he was not capable of being in this movie. I thought he was doing like a knockoff Leo from The Departed impression. And I think maybe he got caught in between doing this like double agent where he had to show it at all times and he had to show the conflict. To me, I was I was struggling to, to take his his part in this movie seriously. Now, I realize that's not a popular opinion because I... I've listened to plenty of people that I respect their opinions quite a bit that that commend the performance. And on when Os- when the Oscar noms came out and he was nominated for supporting and everyone was screaming, "How could you nominate a, a, a lead for supporting?" I'm screaming, "Yeah, how could you nominate him?" Wait, what? Why? Oh, <laughs> all the wrong reasons. Oh, for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. So, uh, unpopular opinion. You know, that was my viewing experience with it. You know, maybe on a rewatch, I might feel a little differently. Uh, that was one of the earlier ones that I saw out of this lineup. So uh, I will have to revisit that one, too, because I, it seems like in, as a whole, people appreciated and liked that movie more than I did. But, yeah, I was not into his performance at all. I need to see more of his work I mean, because I liked him in Get Out. Um, I know him from the pilot of Always Sunny in Philadelphia. He's uh, he's in the first episode of that show. So and is is good in that. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Unpopular opinion out here, but uh, anyway, Zito, who would have been your your last person, your last person out of there? And feel free to respond to my to my burial of uh, Lakeith Stanfield there if you want to. No, no, it's okay. I can respect that opinion because I will admit I can see how the movie could be divisive, and I think it has. Mm. opened up a lot of divisions on film Twitter, as you pointed out, in terms of what people want out of this sort of movie. And a lot of debate over the depiction of Fred Hampton in particular, where we wonder, is it good to have him held up as this great human being, or do we want more human flawed heroes? And so even though I disagree with your opinion, I can definitely respect it. And I, I can see where you are coming from in thinking that he has a lot on his plate and that can be very hard to handle. So who would have been your your fifth person out here? (sighs) Probably Sasha Baron Cohen Mm -hmm. in The Trial of the Chicago 7, which I think was the nomination that we all knew was happening Mm -hmm. ever since that movie came out. Even though the response to the performance wasn't that positive at least on film twitter of course right but even critics you look up their reviews and they go oh showing the scenery this just <laughs> feels like a an impression of abby hoffman it's not like he's bringing that much more humanity to it and yet we all know it's the sort of performance that they love because he's playing a real life figure who tragically ended up committing suicide yeah. so there is that element of tragedy there and he's also bringing his broad comedy skills to the role. But then there's a point where he goes serious and we realize, oh no, this is a dramatic performance. And you just expect him to get nominated. And so I almost sighed or shrugged when he did earn that nomination because it just felt like an afterthought because we'd all been anticipating it. Nobody was that excited about it. And so I wish he had been replaced by somebody who was a bit more of a surprise, somebody who shook things up. Yeah, I agree with you too. Sasha Baron Cohen for me, 
Um, and I think, I mean, Abby Hoffman's such an interesting character, too. Might, listen, he might be one of the best-selling authors of all time, but his book was titled Steal This Book, so nobody actually knows how many people have read it, which I think is just unbelievable. If you're going to play a real person, you have to kind of, you have to do something special to bring it there. And I think he was fine. I think he was just kind of a person there. And, you know, and I think with the two Jews, the Black Messiah, Sound of Metal, One Night in Miami, I just think there was just better work. And I think there was other people who could have, there was a great secondary cast in. Ma Rainey's one of them could have gotten in there. There was a lot of other things where I thought that Sasha Baron Cohen was, I thought he was good. I think he did a good job. That was, I liked him more in that than I've liked him in other things. Um, but I, I think for this nomination, I, I think he's a... Clear number five for me, at least. Okay, so we're going to head to the uh, to the leads now, and this should be interesting. Um, I got my hottest take out of the way, though, so I, gotta, I don't have to... Uh, that was my most controversial thing I, got, I had to say. I think the rest is pretty straightforward here. But we're going <laughs> to gonna stick with uh, the actors here. We're going to save actresses for last there, because I know that's, uh, that's Zita's favorite category there. So uh, we're going to now lead off, read off the lead actor nominees here, and we'll start with, we'll start with Stephen Yoon for Minari. Anthony Hopkins for The Father, Gary Oldman for Mank, Chadwick Bosman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, and Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal. And Joey, I'll have you start this, this time around here. Uh, who is your winner for Best Actor in 2021? So I think Chadwick Bosman is going to win. I thought he was fantastic. I'm a huge fan of him, and I'm very sad that he passed. But, um, again, this is who we think should win. I think Riz Ahmed. I think he was fantastic. That movie, everything he did, learning about the commitment he put into learning sign language, learning the drums, everything about it. I think that movie was just so heavily weighted on him. And I think he just, I think he held it up. And I think he just did such a fantastic job that uh, I'm Riz Ahmed all the way there. Uh, I'm going to... I'm going to agree with you. I want to say that uh, Riz Ahmed is, is the best performance this year. I think that it's probably one of my favorite acting performances in a number of years. Uh, I haven't seen a lead acting performance that's affected me like, like this in quite a while. Uh, as, a, as a musician, I, I kind of got hit a little harder with it myself. I mean, I'm not a drummer, but I'm, it hit home. That whole performance, I thought it was genius. I thought it was just... Uh, just a brilliant piece of acting, and I've liked everything I've seen him in. Whether it was the Night of or um, Nightcrawler, uh, he's just a just a really nice actor with a with a brilliant future. As Joey said, he's probably not going to win this year. And I do want to say that I absolutely love Chadwick Bosman in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom too. I think it's a fine performance, and I'm not taking anything away from him. It seems that that's probably the way it's going to go. But I just, like I said, in, in, if this was any of the last several years, I would have I would have gone with Riz Ahmed for sure. Uh, Zita, what do you think? Well, I suppose I'm the odd one out here because I think that Stephen, I think it's young, just from the interviews mm -hmm. I've watched. Okay. I don't know it. I'm terrible with pronunciation. Oh, it, uh, mispronouncing I things is on brand for that, BPC. That is no a <laughs> BPC. We haven't botched a name yet, so I That's think... Well, I just did. I just did. <laughs> so, so, you, so you have it, yes. Yeah, so, so, so Stephen Yun. So I have him winning, and Ahmed was very close behind him for me, and I really did have to consider whether I wanted to go with him, and I do ultimately think they're basically at the same level, mm -hmm. both very good performances, very understated in a lot of ways, both playing these men who are going through incredible amounts of stress and worrying about their loved ones and how they will react if they fail, in finger quotes. And 
I just think for Jan, what really got me was that amidst this ensemble, he did manage to stand out and he doesn't really try to tug at your heartstrings in some of his bigger scenes. And I just admired that level of restraint. But also with Ahmed, I think the section of that film where he goes to visit his girlfriend overseas, he's really moving during that mm. section of the film. And you just feel his isolation and his confrontation scene with her father is almost painful to watch. Oh, yeah. And so I'm definitely in support of that nomination. Yeah, and I think in a movie where you've lost your ears or you're playing a character who, who's, who's lost his ears, what you do with your eyes is so crucial, and he just nails that. I mean, and, and that's a strength of him as an actor anyway, but he just... You can you can see his story through his eyes through a lot of this, and it's easy for us to sit here and say that, and and but to to put that together, and in addition to all the stuff, Joe, you mentioned about learning the Trumps, learning sign language, I'm just I'm just shocked that it's not more of a force to the point where people aren't even saying that it's an easy second place. Right. But you know you never you never know that's and and again how a movie affects me is different than it affects other people. But I, I just that movie just crushes me to the core, and uh, I I thought Riz Ahmed was a big 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 part of that. We'll stay with you, Zeta, for this next one because I, I I have a feeling I know what you're going to say, but you may surprise <laughs> me. Who would be the odd man out here out of these five? Uh, so Gary Oldman. <laughs> there it is. I think I know who's getting my least valuable player award. He's just dreadful. <laughs> we talked about biopic performances with Sasha Baron Cohen, where you have to play a real life character. And I think he just gives in to all of his worst impulses as an actor. Anybody who saw Darkest Hour knows that he is capable of chewing the scenery. And he does a lot of that in this one where he's, drunk all the time and he plays a drunk person like somebody doing pantomime theater oh my god and i agree he's meant to be really witty and yet he just seems like a bastard i think <laughs> a sense of why people are so drawn to this person despite the fact in so many scenes he just spends his time criticizing them it, it never quite made sense to me why they would keep inviting him to these parties letting him hang around when he just always has this axe to grind. And part of the issue was just the way that scenes were written, where I went, nobody would stand around and <laughs> let this drunk yell at them about their political views. They would stop them and say, stop speaking. I. They would try to defend themselves. But at the same time, Oldman was not doing the script any favours by the way that he was acting out the scenes that David Finch's father had written for him. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna second that one and agree with it. And I'm I'm happy you went right to the playing the drunk person because when I read the synopsis of this movie I'm like, all right, well at least like cool, we're gonna get like a real gritty take on alcoholism or the this was like this was like when Daffy Duck drinks too much out of the out of the jug with the XXX on it, stumbles and falls over. I mean it was so cartoonish and goofy and just uh, none of it resonated with me at all. I, I, I can't say it any better than, than you did, but I, I, he would be my odd man. Out to, I'm, I'm kind of, other than his reputation and I guess like 
the type of movie this is. I'm just shocked he was he was nominated here. Yeah, I'm gonna go third. I have nothing else to add. What what are we doing here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and I think a little uh, a little more highly of Gary Oldman than you than you oh, do. I'm a big Zita. fan of him normally. Just here, it just didn't. Nothing that he was doing was working. It's not a good performance. And I'll say, I mean, another one that I watched this year that I did not like either was Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, and he was nominated for that one too. And I didn't get that nomination either. I, I you know, I, I don't know if, if, if you guys have seen that one, but that was another one that was just a head scratcher for me. Yeah. Okay, so we're gonna go to the uh, the lead actress role. We'll uh, we'll start with you, Zita. Here, um, I'm going to uh, just read off the, the nominees first. So we have uh, Vanessa Kirby, Pieces of a Woman. We have Carrie Mulligan, Promising Young Woman. We have Andra Day, The United States versus Billie Holiday. Viola Davis, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, and Frances McDormand, Nomadland. So, Zita, what do you think? What is your expertise, opinion here on who should take home Best Actress 2021? Well, for me, it has been Vanessa Kirby since I saw Pieces of a Woman, just because I I knew that she was going to be an awards contender, and I saw her and I thought, yes, that makes sense. She's terrific. That movie does have some issues with including a lot of scenes that we associate with every single family drama in which a child dies or somebody loses a child. And I think the real genius of her performance is that she is able to make us feel like we are just seeing those cliches for the first time. She really brings something fresh to that sort of role and she's willing to appear emotionally withdrawn for most of the film which I think was a really brave decision and I would be absolutely thrilled if she won and I'm also very happy that Andrew Day got a nomination however I'm not thrilled about the rest of the lineup and the way that some people were but it's definitely an improvement over 2019. Wow okay and before I go to you Joe and and get your uh, opinion I would say uh, Zita this is pretty much up in the air this year, right? I mean, like the precursors have had a different winner every time. So we don't, this is one where we really kind of don't know who's going to win this thing. Which is very exciting. I think everybody was just sick of Rene Zellweger <laughs> everything last yeah. year. And this year it's a lot more fun to be able to prognosticate and to think about all of the what if scenarios And so even though I don't love all of the performances, I will definitely be riveted on awards night when we eventually find out who wins. Yeah, very cool. So Joe, who who was your winner here for Best Actress? So I really wanted it to be Carrie Mulligan because I think she, I I thought she was awesome. Um, I I loved her and I loved everything she did. But uh, Frances McDormand in Nomadland is my answer. Um, I think, I think she does such... She's subtle, she's strong, she she really hits a lot of things that work throughout that movie for me. Um, so I, I went Francis McDormand. Wow, okay, yeah, so I, I love that performance too, Joe. And uh, I have um, I am a big kind of fan of the reserved performances and the, the ones where you don't have to chew up the dialogue and chew up the screenplay. 
And uh, I am a big defender of The Revenant. Uh, and that's a, a one that, that film Twitter loves to go after, too. And, you know, Leo, Leo's makeup Oscar and doesn't deserve to win and, and all that. And I'm like Ash versus the Evil Dead fighting off all the <laughs> Revenant haters in that one. But um, I, didn't go with, uh, I didn't go with Francis McDormand here. I went with Carrie Mulligan. Nice. Uh, I thought that that, first of all, that movie was just a punch in the gut. And then a boot to the face for me. Like that movie was just, it floored me. I thought it was awesome, awesome film. Um, I loved the top to bottom. I found very little weakness in it. I know it's a controversial flick and maybe someone that uh, some people might have some different feelings about that. But I mean, just, I thought it, that movie checked off all the boxes for me. And I thought Carrie Mulligan captaining that ship was just. She just crushed it, and she was great. It, she'd be my winner this year. I don't know that she's going to win, but I think, as you said, Zita, it's tough to say who will win. I would love to see it. I think that this type of movie doesn't normally get recognized at the Oscars. We talked about that with comedies with Borat, but uh, these kind of like thrillers, or even like you know, this isn't a horror movie, but it, it fits into that kind of realm. This is, it's a lot of things, and that's why it works. And I think that's it's just when some things are good that they're not, you know, they're hard to categorize. I think it's easier to let the, you know give them a chance and give them an award and see if they can put up a fight. Yeah, and, and I think in a movie where you don't necessarily know where the character is going and the director doesn't want you to know where the character is going, a lot of that a lot of that leans on the actor or the actress steadying the ship and right. and making sure that they're not they're not telling their hands at all. And I will I know people say that that you know the screenplay did a lot of the work for her and I I don't disagree with that. I think that it was a super strong screenplay that I think should should probably win. It's easy to say that and forget that it could have been a disaster in other hands and oh, I thought yeah. Carrie Mulligan crushed it. What were your <laughs> thoughts on uh, on on that performance there? See that? So I'll admit I'm one of those people that she referenced to has some issues with the film's portrayal of men. I think just from my perspective, I wanted her to include at least one male character who was supportive, who understood, who wasn't just an evil monster, because in the world that the film sets up, it's sort of implied that all men have some underlying urge to abuse women, which I didn't really agree with. And I also felt like the scenes where she brings men home and then lectures them or leads them on before snapping out of it and then lecturing them about their behaviour. All of those men were such caricatures where they're all drunk or one of them is just a sort of cartoonishly nice guy and she has the guy from the OC yes. playing him. Uh, I yeah. forget his name. <laughs> the first one. That's obvious stunt casting. and You had McLovin in there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> For what he would grow up to be. I think that's a pretty... Yeah, he's he did. McLovin nice in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those scenes just didn't really work for me. But specifically in terms of Mulligan's performance, I do think she has some really strong moments. I think she's very skilled when it comes to black comedy. Mulligan is very much in control of the tone in a lot of difficult scenes and she did get me through a lot of scenes where I was otherwise cringing over mm -hmm. some of the writing. So she deserves praise. Yeah. I mean, I, th I thought it was a movie, but we'll talk a little bit more about the movie when we get to the, um, when we right. get to the, to the other uh, awards, but I, I have some thoughts on that too. Uh, and just real quick, your thoughts on Francis McDormand's performance. <laughs> <laughs> this will be, this will be my, 
hot take of the episode. <laughs> I had heard so much praise for this performance and people saying, oh, it's one of her best pieces of work in a long time and it represents her reaching new heights. And then I saw the film and I thought, I've seen a dozen other McDormand performances that are so similar to this. It just didn't feel like she was bringing anything new to this part for me. And I understand that all actors, even the ones with the most range, do have a base from which they work where you can watch each of their performances and identify, oh, this thing is the same as it was in their last film. But she does tend to fall back on nowadays. She's this older woman. She's very tough and world-weary, but then slowly she's broken down and we realize that she has this gooey, soft center. And you get that in Nomadland. And I'll admit I was sort of bored by it at this point. I thought I've seen this so many times from her. Do we really need it again? Hmm. And as you pointed out, restraint. Yes, there is some of that on display. She is very good at trying to modulate her facial expressions during scenes. She's not as loud as she was in Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, but I don't quite understand how she has become the critic's favorite of this awards season. Interesting, interesting. Um, so that being said, which of these five would be the one that you would pull out of here and and feel free to if there's one if there's uh, a someone that you thought should have been included let us know that too i would probably get rid of mcdormand and hmm? i suppose this should come with the caveat that i don't hate the performance i think it's probably a sign of the strength of the best actress category this year that there's not one that you would immediately throw away which i think does happen in quite a few years where you think that seems unnecessary. And in terms of people that I would have included, <laughs> all of the ones that I liked probably weren't in the conversation, but I did watch a Georgian movie called Beginning recently, which I found very interesting. And I'm just going to look up how to pronounce the lead actress's name. <laughs> sure, sure. I can't really do it. I think it's Ia. Succotashvili. I, I'm way better than I would have done. Way better. I would have said Succotash. You know, like suffering Succotash. You know, we would have turned it into a cartoon. You did it's great. My, it's my second Daffy Duck reference. <laughs> yeah. So that so that's a Georgian film. And what's the name of the film again? Beginning. Beginning. Okay. Cool. And what about the supporting actress? Is there anyone that you thought was left out that got snubbed that you might have slid in there? Well. Emma, which is a movie that I saw quite early on in the year, I think it might have been the first 2020 film that I saw. I wasn't hugely impressed by it when I saw it, and it's sort of grown on me over the time. I, I think I might even update my rating on Letterboxd or something, but Mia Goth, when I saw it, really stood out to me. I think she's just tremendous. She's very funny. She's very warm. She puts the fact that she's almost like a young Mia Farrow to use. I was really reminded of some of Mia Farrow's early work and that's positive. And I just wish she had been recognized. I think it's the sort of role that they don't always go for, but she has this really interesting interpretation of the ingenue type. Cool, very cool. Well, you're always the source that I, I would refer anyone to when it comes to the uh, the best actress category. I mean, I uh, you're you're one of the people that helped me recognize how little of, of the actress 
nominated actress performances that I've seen. So I have to uh, go and check a lot more boxes of of the actresses that have won, and and that's something I plan on doing uh, this you know this upcoming year, hopefully. So I uh, always always love hearing your opinions on that. Uh, so we're going to do director next, and Joey, I'm going to have you lead off here. But first, I'm going to uh, I'm going to name the directors who were nominated. For Best Director this year. And uh, first we have, and I, I guess before we should start, I should say that we have um, two women up yeah. this year. Two women up this year, which is uh, which is great and uh, different from what we normally see here. But So uh, we'll start We'll start there. And uh, we have Chloe Zhao from Nomadland. We have Emerald Fennell from Promising Young Woman. We have Lee Isaac Chung from Minari. We have David Fincher from Mank. And we have Thomas Vinterberg from Another Round, which is more or less the surprise uh, nominee. I think a lot of people thought that BPC favorite and quote-unquote Aaron Sorkin was going to get that nominee, but he (laughs) did not. And uh, I did an internal slow clap when I saw that personally. But uh, Joe, we'll start with you. Who is your winner for Best Director this year? So... One, I actually think that three women should have been nominated because I think Regina King did a great job with One Night in Miami. But um, Chloe Zhao for Nomadland, I, I think she did a really good job. You know, I know Zita said she was bored. I, I wasn't. I know some people were. But I think <laughs> that movie could have been really boring, like, to everybody where no one's ever going to watch it. Um, and I think Chloe Zhao did a really good job. And I, I, I think there was a lot of really good things about that. So I, I really like her for that. Okay, great. Uh, Zita, what was your choice, and why is it David Fincher for Mank? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, definitely was not Fincher for me, but I would have Vinterberg winning. And wow. I'm not one of those people who thought that another round was one of the best of the year, but I definitely think it represents a step in the right direction in terms of this best director lineup where it does feel like a very personal piece of work and I, I do think that it seems like Vinterberg is really invested in the plight of the main character instead of it being a study of the effects of alcoholism. Alcoholism just happens to be a part of the narrative but he is using that as a vehicle to explore how men feel when they reach a certain point in their lives and maybe it's not the flashiest directing I would definitely say with Fincher he's got the period detail on his side he has all of these very long walk and talk scenes that he probably had to choreograph so that's definitely one of those films that you can point at and go ah that has been directed to within an inch of its life whereas (laughs) another round is more understated I think it was probably harder to make an argument for its direction just because so much of it is Mads Mikkelsen's acting or scenes set indoors which they tend not to be that impressed by and I'm just glad that he got some recognition for a film that did seem to be out of the race. I know a lot of people were expecting Mickelson to get a Best Actor nomination, and then that didn't happen. So the Best Director nomination came as something of a surprise. Yeah, and I, I love hearing that. Thomas Vinterberg, I definitely can tip the cap to him. Um, uh, he's a part of the... I'm a huge a huge Metallica fan. Metallica is one of the reasons I picked up the guitar and, and you know, I'm still a musician today. And uh, Vinterberg directed one of their music videos, directed the music video for um, The Day That Never Comes. Oh, really? So uh, he's part of the Metallica oh, wow. family. So when I saw he got nominated for uh, 
an Oscar for Best Director. I was definitely super excited about that. So certainly we'll uh, tip the cap to that. My my uh, choice for winner is going to be Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman. Just, again, I, I just was pretty floored by every aspect of the movie from the script to the color palette, to the acting, to the, um, and to a lot of the choices that were made. And I, I do agree with you, Zita, that some of them were over the top, but I thought they were over the top in the way that supported the story they were trying to tell. And I think if, if you have a movie that has a forceful message, it can, it can go south pretty quick. And I think, you know, Judas and the Black Messiah could possibly be an example of that. But, um, I think if you're going to make a forceful message, the best way to do so is do so is through great storytelling and great direction. And I thought that you got that there from from Emerald Fennell, both in her performance as a writer and as a director. And I think she does, you know, deserves that recognition here for that. Um, if Chloe Zhao wins, and I think that she may, I'm totally cool with that. I thought her performance as a director was brilliant too. I loved Nomadland. It was. Uh, my return to the movie theaters around here and just I had a, a submersive experience with it and just totally dug it and I'm absolutely fine with her winning. I thought she was just, a, it was a super, super, super excellent uh, directorial performance for her. But I, my, my choice is, is Emerald for now. I'll go to you next, uh, Zita. Who would you pull out of this lineup here? Well, let me be Fincher for Mank. I really dislike the film. Yes, I can understand the argument that he probably had to work harder than any of the other directors because, yes, it's a massive production. I can appreciate that it probably took a lot of effort to put it together, but just his intentions from the outset, I question. And I don't dislike Fincher overall. I think that the social network probably should have won best picture back in 2010 and I think he can be a very fine director when he wants to be but there is a certain coldness to his films that I almost wish he had brought to this one because he always seems too emotionally invested in Manx's plight and he really wants you to get behind him and it's almost like you're watching a propaganda film where he's saying, hey, this guy, he's great. <laughs> awesome, Wells, he's evil. Let's get rid of him. We should really support this guy. And I did not like feeling like I was having this message shoved down my throat. And I think when you talk about Promising Young Woman, yes, I disagree with some of the ways that it was trying to communicate its message, but at least Fennell does that with style. With Fincher, it was just so aggressive that yeah. I reacted negatively to it. Yeah. Joe, how about you? Same. Um, I love David Fincher, but um, one, I haven't seen another round, but I really loved Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Minari. Um, I think they all did a great job. So as much as I love Fincher, I'd have to pull him out here. Yeah, I'm, I, I actually really like David Fincher too. I don't like over the top obsess over him like a lot of I think film Twitter does but I do like most of his films and yeah. this one I did not like at all I mean, this was my probably, least favorite it of was his. my least favorite Fincher too I, I kind of am okay with this lineup as it is though I don't know that I would pull anyone uh, just because I understand the recognition there they've missed on him a little in the past give him a give him a nod sure. get him in there there's some there are some technical aspects of Mank that I guess are commendable as far as like 
you know, film, how it's presented, how it's presented to film, you know, kind of making it look like a 1940s film, 1930s film, I thought was, was interesting enough that you can give a guy who you've snubbed a little bit in the past. So I'm, I'm okay with that there, that there, but, um, yeah, I, again, I did not, it, it's, it is my least favorite Fincher, I think, you know, it's my least favorite Fincher. Um, I, I really love a lot of Fincher and I've, you know, we've talked about it. But it just just didn't work. And I would be, you know, I'm going to repeat myself here. I'd be completely cool with him coming out and Regina King for one night in Miami going in. That wow. movie really impressed me a lot more than anything in this. Yeah, and, and some shout-outs to, to Lee Isaac Chung, too, because I thought that's a super... Great movie. Uh, and a super, you know, super solid directorial addition yeah. uh, here, too. I mean, Just it, a really good job. Yeah. Everything was... You know, it was it was subtle but smart and precise. I felt. Really tight movie. Yep. Really tight movie. Okay, so before we get to our the movie, we're going to go do a deep dive in in a year. Yes, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, that we're gonna we're gonna rank our our best picture nominees here and try to figure out uh, where we'd have them slated. Uh, before we do that, because we do the BPC awards every episode, we thought, hey, let's uh, let's do this. Let's do this here for this. So we're gonna it will. It's not gonna work perfectly. It's not just the same as doing it for one movie, but we're gonna try to do it for this lineup. So this should be interesting, and we're going to start as we always do with MVP. Joey, I'm gonna have you go first here. Give us your MVP. So MVP was you know I had a runner up, but I, I, I'm gonna go for my MVP with the performance that kind of blew my mind the most and it was uh Riz Ahmed Sound of Metal um I've been a fan of his with everything I've seen him do I mean I thought he was great in Venom he blew my mind and I think um amongst a lot of really really good stuff this year I think he's his performance in that movie is something that I'll remember beyond that initial emotional response to it where I I watch something and I get super excited about it Uh, um I think his is sitting with me longer as I get further removed from some of the other movies. His is really sitting with me. So Rizabed for my MVP. He was right there in contention with me too. He's not going to be my MVP, but he was very, very close. He's probably my runner-up. Zita, who was your MVP for this lineup here? So I had Vanessa Kirby in Pieces of a Woman. I think that's my favorite nomination of the year. I was... Very happy that she got it, and I know it was sort of expected, but I know there had been some rumblings in the day leading up to the nominations being announced where people went, oh, maybe her spot isn't safe. And as explained before, I just think it's an excellent performance. She's deserving of all of the praise that she's received, and I hope that she can continue to appear in these big Hollywood, well, Netflix productions. (laughs) Vanessa Kirby, um, it's not, you know, it's not an Oscar movie, but I thought she was so good in Hobbs and Shaw that (laughs) (laughs) in this just ridiculous movie where a guy is holding a helicopter by a car and a chain, I thought she really stood out. So I I appreciate any Vanessa Kirby love. Very cool. I cannot say that I've seen Hobbs and Shaw. (laughs) Oh, you didn't see the movie uh, theaters twice by yourself? No, No, I did not. (laughs) So my MVP, um, and I've talked about her a little bit here in these last few, but I went with uh, Emerald Fennell nice. for uh, Promising Young Promising Young Woman. Being that she was up for director, up for screenplay, I think she'll probably win screenplay. Sure. Uh, and I think a lot of Carrie Mulligan's performance can lean on the words that Emerald Fennell put on paper. I just think it's one of the most different Best Picture nominees that we've seen in the last decade. I appreciate that type of uh, dark 
comedy thriller being included in the mix. It was a movie I was not expecting to love by any means. I went in kind of like, all right, I just want to be entertained here. Just just entertain me. I, this isn't going to be my favorite. It's probably going to have a pushy message that's going to annoy me. Uh, and that was not the case. Uh, it was it was a movie that made me actually take a step back and, and go, whoa, yeah. hold on a second. It just really effective and brilliant. I went director for MVP there in that one. I like so, that. And as a screenwriter as well. LVP... Zita, I'm going to have you kick it off because I think you showed your hand a little bit here. So who was your LVP this year? So it's Gary Oldman and Mank, unsurprisingly. <laughs> I think it's just one of those performances that I really have contempt for. And I think part of it is just dislike for the type of performance that the Academy tends to go for. And I think this is really representative of some of the bad trends that they have always followed where they like big loud performances instead of rewarding people for being quieter for being more withdrawn and i think the best actress category my least favorite nominee was frances mcdormand she is miles ahead of gary oldman and mank in terms of the quality of her work so i really hope that they're going to skew that way instead of continuing to nominate these sorts of performances yeah joe what was your lvp so I was going to go Mank as a whole, but as we've been talking, I've, I've adjusted. Mank as a whole was my MV, LVP, because I just think compared to, I, I just think the rest of the, I haven't seen The Father, but I think the rest of the movies are just in a different category. But Borat being nominated for things, I think, is also an LVP, so yeah. <laughs> double LVP of ridiculousness. Yeah, wow, okay. That's that's where I'm at. Yeah, it's, I can't argue with any of that, for sure. There. Um, I'm, I'm gonna my I'm gonna couple with that a little bit. Uh, my LVP was David Fincher. Oh, um, and I went with David Fincher for a, a few reasons here, and we'll start with the fact that this year was teed up for him. Yes, he hasn't made a picture in a while. We've we've waited for him to return to the scene. He's been immersed in the Netflix stuff, and and I love. You know, I, I love the the whole Mindhunters thing. Yep. Great, great stuff. And, and I hope that he can continue that. But we've kind of waited for him to come out with a movie for a while. You have a year where the, the Oscars are somewhat depleted here because of what 2020 was. You have an anticipated director doing a movie about movies. You have a, a best actor winner in the mix. This should have been teed up for an MVP season for him. 100%. He should. It's like the New York Yankees put him in the leadoff spot to take over, win the World Series in a weak year, and he, he finished in last place. And uh, By to, far last place, Yeah, I think. yeah, and it just very disappointing. The movie was disappointing. Everything about it, Trent Reznor was the only good thing about it. And, um, yeah, so he was my LVP there. And, and I'm saying that as a David Fincher fan. And on top of that, he's a guy who... who, who who everyone is always in his corner. Oh, they snubbed you. They've, you know, oh, Fincher got snubbed. Fincher got snubbed. Right. So this is your chance to make up for it. And you couldn't get it done. So, yeah, that, that was, he was an easy LVP for me. So next we have honorable mention. You can kind of pick anyone that you want to tip your cap to, give a nod to. Um, happy to see them here. Zita, who'd you go with here? So I just went with Vinterberg. I think I like the fact that he got nominated today. I think yeah. everybody was happy to see his response to getting nominated and... They have this trend of nominating foreign language films in the director category. They'll give some 
acclaimed Hungarian art house director and nominee and <laughs> nomination, and then their film won't get any other nominations, and that's sort of what happened here. But I was glad just to see it getting something, and obviously there's the horrible backstory where we all know about mm. his daughter's mm. tragic death, and that adds to the poignancy of it. But I also think it's been some time that he's been building up this buzz. And so it's good that he's finally followed through on it instead of just having to deal with being in the conversation for a few months and then being pushed aside in favor of bigger American directors. Yeah, that's um, that's a great that's a great choice. I wish I would have thought of that. That's outstanding. <laughs> and, and if you haven't seen the video of of. Uh, Thomas Vinterberg seeing himself be nominated. That have you joined? No, I seen it? Seen oh, that. go go on Twitter. You, I think on Twitter you just just search Thomas Vinterberg. Yeah. It'll pop right up. They have them announcing the the uh, each each category when his name comes up. The whole you see his reaction, and that's what uh, Zita was referencing there. It's oh, really awesome. really cool stuff. So uh, great great choice there, uh, Joey. Who was your participation award? So for me, um, honorable mention and participation are not the same. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Already be jokes. Um, for me, I went for something that wasn't nominated that I was hoping would be nominated, and it's Andy Samberg in Palm Springs. Palm Springs was a movie I really liked a lot. Um, I know Andy Samberg is someone who is not universally adored. I know people find him annoying. I am someone who is a big fan. I think Hot Rod is super underrated comedy. But um, I thought he was really good in Palm Springs. I think it was a good movie that I was hoping would get some love. Um, so I, I wanted to shout it out in the honorable mention participation piece of the BPC Awards because I, I think it's um, I think it did a really good job. Yeah, very very nice. Did, uh, did you see that one, Zita? Yes, yes, I did. I think it's great. I, I would have loved it if Kristen Milioti had been in the the best actress discussion, but. Unfortunately, they overlook comedies, so she never really made it in there. But I think Sandberg would probably make my best actor lineup if I were putting one together. He cool. yeah. really excels himself in that one. Yeah, and, and you know, don't you wish that maybe all the love they gave to Borat, they would have leaned and given That's to what Palm I was Springs, hoping for, you know? Because yeah. I think it could have been up for screenplay, and I think she could have been, you know... Christine Milotti was also... You can yell about category fraud there at that, but you could have put her up for supporting actress instead of the Borat actress, you know, so Bacalaba. But, you know, I, I thought Christine Milotti, again, someone else who I really like, she's, she was really good. She was so charming and did so many different things. And have to shout out one of my favorite best supporting actor wins of all time... The great J.K. Simmons, of course, making just, his appearance in that. I one mean, J.K. Simmons is an all-time. Yes, like absolutely. he has to be shooting, hitting a thousand, right? <laughs> That's right. So my uh, my participation award, I went with um, because I was just so happy to see him nominated. I was expecting him to not be nominated because it just seemed that way through a lot of the precursors that it wasn't going to happen. But uh, I went with Paul Racy from The Sound of Metal. Nice. Uh, his performance is just so. It's just so heartbreaking and incredible, and it just it, it's it's a it's a reduce you to tears performance. It's a true supporting actor. What a supporting actor should mean for a movie he did. When I saw it, when I saw Sound of Metal, I was like, "This man better be nominated for supporting <laughs> actor." I'm going to be I am going to be very annoyed if he's not. And this is before any because because Sound of Metal came out pretty early in the yeah. process. And then when I hear all the buzz and I'm saying, "Ah, eh, nah, nah, nah," he's not, and it's just like, and he doesn't get up for a Globe. And 
I just was just thought it wasn't going to happen, and it did. So I'm I'm happy about that. I'm, I know he's probably not going to win, but that's that's my honorable it's a mention. Great nomination, too. though. So we're going to do the the time machine recast, and this is a, a a point we take any actor or actress from any point in time and put them into one of the nominated roles here. I'm sure Zita. I'm sure you're excited about this. You can pull anyone anyone you want uh, in in time and do this. Joey, I'm going to have you go first here. How did you do this? Here, so this? I looked, I went through the categories and I thought about kind of what didn't fit for me. And as we were talking about supporting actor, Sasha Baron, Co- Sasha Baron Cohen is Abby Hoffman. Really, I thought he did fine, but I thought it could have been a lot better, especially for such a supremely interesting human being that Abby Hoffman was. So that's, that's where I kind of went. Um, normally, I recast my, my LVP, but... I don't think anybody wants to sit here while I recast Mang for seven hours. <laughs> so for so I, I, I'm saying who I and I think Sasha Baron Cohen did a fine job. I just think it could have been done better for Abby Hoffman. All right, so what do you got? Seth Rogen. I thought Seth Rogen would have done wow. a really good job in being. I think he would have been funnier. I think he would have been better in the more dramatic parts, and I think he would have been more believable as this as a leader. Interesting, Seth Rogen in uh, now can can he and you think he can get nominated too? He can break oh, yeah. the uh, break the threshold. And... I think it would have been. I, I think that would not be the number five for us in that if it's Seth Rogen. Do I think? I mean, listen. Interesting. I, I don't think he's beating Kaluuya, but I think maybe we have a battle there. I think Seth Rogen, someone who's been for someone who's been in so many things, I think is very underrated because it's so comedy based, but I, I think he's really good in a lot of he things. He has good moments and he has a, his uh, role in, in Steve Jobs is pretty yeah, good. great. In the Danny Boyle movie. Uh, uh, yeah, that's that's an interesting choice. Very interesting. Zita, who did you, how did you go with this one? Well, this is a performance that I did like, as I pointed out. So, Kerry Mulligan in Promising Young Woman. Oh boy. Ooh, I do have exciting. positive things to say about that one. This is no slight on the work that she does but i would have been interested to see what are you too familiar with melanie mayro melanie mayro what um no what what films was she in so she was very big in the 70s so she was in harry and tonto which art carney won best actor for in 1974 so he managed to okay very controversial and the godfather part two yes but she's also probably most famous for girlfriends which is a lovely claudia wheel film that sort of feels like a a forerunner to the sort of feminist shows that we have now i I use that as a blanket statement and she's really terrific in that and then she also went on to be in missing she did a lot of work in Woody Allen-esque comedy dramas. And okay. I think she could have handled this part really interestingly. I know there was all that controversy where some journalists said that Kerry Mulligan wasn't attractive enough to be a rape victim, which was very oh. an odd statement oh. to make. And, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh. And I think, as she pointed out, part of the point is that she, she does look almost like a normal woman in it. And I think that Mayron has a similar vibe. I hate to use that word, but she also feels very ordinary in many ways. And so I think she could have handled this role interestingly. She also has that skill with black comedy. And I suppose I'm arguing that Promising Young Woman could have been made in the 70s. But if it were, (laughs) I think it would have a really interesting social context to work with because you did have the sorry 
you did have the sexual revolution at that time, but it didn't really seem to help a lot of women. And you do have a lot of stories from back then of rape on university mm -hmm. campuses and that sort of thing yeah. going on unchecked. So I think it would have been really interesting to have it set then or even made back then. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, there, there is a 70s vibe to it. I mean, it's obviously, it's set. It's, it's modern. It's very clearly set right. in modern times and the use of technology and all that. But there is a, like, a, a 70s undertone to it that I could totally see. So that's a good point. And I, I, I want to check out uh, Harry and Tonto because that is the controversial one. He beat uh, uh, Nicholson in, in Chinatown, I think, was one of the other ones. Yeah. Did he beat that? Oh, yeah. So him, him, and Pacino. Okay, so I went with one that I think one of our co-hosts may not may not like so much. Yes. but uh, I I went with Lakeith Stanfield spot, oh. and I'm gonna I'm gonna swap him out. I know you guys loved him, but he's uh, he's coming out of he's coming out of this movie for me. I wanted to put someone in there who I thought really could handle that double agent role, and uh, we have a co-host here, Artie B, who really does not like this actor at all. Um, so he's oh, Jeremy Renner. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not Jeremy. It's not Jeremy Renner. I went with uh, I went with the young Forrest Whitaker, an '80s Forrest Whitaker. His if you see him in as a young actor in Color of Money, where he plays a, a charming con artist. He's only in one scene. It's a great scene, but you really he really shows you both sides of the coin. Um, I think if you've seen the show The Shield, where he plays a conflicted investigator. You can see him play both sides of it as well. An Oscar Award winner in his own right for The Last King of Scotland. Um, I, I would love to see a young Forrest Whitaker get an opportunity like this and get thrust into a role like this. And I think that he could have elevated this movie in ways that I feel Lucky Stanfield might have fallen short. So... Uh, that's me. I know that that Artie B. When he hears this, is going to be kicking his his uh, his TV tray over, but you know that's uh, that's how it goes. But as long here, as you know? people are listening, I let, let him get mad. <laughs> that's right. What did you think of uh, of Forrest Whitaker's performance in Last King of Scotland in that one? Well, that's one of those interesting cases where they put him in lead, but you could almost argue that his character was supporting it. They do that quite a lot where. You have a movie where you have a conduit character who you spend most of your time with, which in that film's case is James McAvoy. But then there's some big flashy historical figure who shows up for about 30 minutes and they're the ones who get all of the awards attention. And they get that in part because it feels special whenever they show up mm -hmm. and the main actor doesn't get as much recognition because they're just playing boring average Joe. And I remember thinking he was fine. It's definitely very big and over the top. But then you think, well, yes, but that was what Eddie I mean, was like. Right. So he didn't really have any choices there. I think I wish that we had spent more time with him. It, it often just felt like he was there to show up, be angry and then charming. And often <laughs> when we find out about things that his character has done, it happens when he is off screen, and so Forrest Whitaker doesn't really get to play that. At the same time, I can understand why he won. I think it was a very good career recognition award. And the 2006 Best Actor lineup was not incredibly strong or anything. So I don't hate the fact that he won. Okay. All right. Fair. All right. So we're going to move now into uh, our rankings of the Best Picture here. This is the, uh, the moment of truth. 
This Woo. is this is what we came here for. So we're going to go in reverse. We'll we'll go one at a time. Now the way this works is if someone has the movie higher, right. we're gonna hold off and wait to talk about it till we get to the highest point. All right, so the one caveat we have here is that, uh, Joe, you have one gap in these awards here that you haven't seen, right? Yeah, I've not seen The Father, unfortunately. Um, I hope to soon, but at this point I haven't. So instead of ranking eight, I'll be ranking seven. You guys do your eighth, then I'll start, we'll start with me at seven and we'll go from there. I imagine we're all going to have, you know, your, yeah, your eighth right. will be my so, seven, yeah. um, and then we'll just account from there. Zita, we'll have you go first. Which was your eighth ranked movie? Unsurprisingly, it was Mank. You all know why. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is also my eighth, and Joey, it is your it is seventh. It's my seventh. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that was the that was the least liked best picture nominee. I think we've covered that one pretty good. I don't think we need to talk about it more. We I think don't need to to beat the uh, per, proverbial dead horse. Let's go to your guys' yeah. number seven, and let's 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 <laughs> let's let's move on from Mank. I think we've purged it from our systems today. I think. Let, let's go to things we're more excited about. All right, absolutely. So, uh, Zita, what was your number seven? Well, this one might be a bit surprising. I have The Father, which there are elements of it that I really admire. I think Coleman's performance is its biggest asset, but I think it's one of those films where it is less than the sum of its parts because it does seem to exist to serve as a showcase for these performances, and there were a lot of points where I just felt my mind wandering as I watched it, and I wasn't as into Anthony Hopkins's performance as a lot of people have been. So it's at seventh. I don't hate it. I just don't think it's a particularly good film. Okay, so um, I had that one a little higher. Uh, so I'll, I'll hold off on my opinions on it uh, just there. Um, and my number seven here was uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Zita, you had that one a little higher. Joey, you had that a little higher. higher. So we'll hold off. We'll hold off the talk on that one. Joey, your number six. My number six is The Trial of the Chicago Seven. Did you have that one higher than six, Zita? Yes. Okay. Uh, it is also my number six. So I'm going to. Uh, so we'll hold off on that one. Zita, what was your number six? Well, I had Nomad Land there again. One that just. Overwhelmed? No, not overwhelmed me. Mm. Underwhelmed me. <laughs> You're overwhelmed by how underwhelmed, underwhelmed. you were. Okay, so, so I have Nomad ha Land higher. Joe, you have it higher, so we'll hold off on that one right now. We'll go to our f number fives next. Right. Uh, Joey, what was your number five? Number five for me was Judas and the Black Messiah. Okay. Uh, did you have that one higher, or do you have that one at five? I had that higher, yes. You have it higher, okay. So we're just going to, let's just to, just... So we don't get confused here. We'll go with our bottom threes each, just to recap here. Uh, and Joey, you're working off of seven and six. So my my bottom three here, I have eight is Mank. I have seven is Judas. And I have six. I'm going to go in as the trial of the Chicago seven. So uh, Zito, what was your eight, your seven, and your six? I had Mank, The Father, and Nomadland. Okay, so you had Mank at eight, you had The Father at seven, and you had Nomadland at six. Joey, your seven and your six were Mank. And Trial of the Chicago Seven. And Trial of the Chicago Seven, okay. And now, Joey, what was your five? Judas and the Black Messiah. Okay, so you had Judas and the Black Messiah. Your five, Zeta? Promising Young Woman at Oh, five. boy. Okay, so we'll talk about that in a sec. Um, I have The Father. So this is a good time to talk about The Father. Zita, you mentioned a little bit of some of the reasons why you had it uh, somewhat uh, ranked a little lower. 
Um, I I thought it was a, I thought it was an interesting movie. It totally like kept me in, and it was better than I was expecting. I kind of was walking into it and saying this is going to be a drag. I was not looking forward to seeing the movie at all, and I was surprisingly engaged by it. I really was. It was different. It was it kind of like presented itself as it was going to be one thing, and it was very much something else. So it had that twist and turn nature to it, and you had to kind of get your bearings as to what you were watching. You know, that being said, I just thought it was just a fine movie. It just wasn't anything spectacular. Uh, a really a really strong performance by Anthony Hopkins carried it. We didn't really talk about him much in our acting thing. He kind of fell in the middle there, so he more or less was, uh, was left out of that, that combo. But I thought he was the best part of it for me. I did really like Olivia Coleman in it, too. Um, what what did you think, Zita, about Anthony Hopkins' performance in that? I wasn't that impressed by it. I think part of it was the hype. I had been told, oh, this is his best performance, and I thought, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. The remains of the day exists. And I went in, and my suspicions were essentially confirmed. I don't think this is as good as the work that he was doing in the 1990s. And at a lot of points, it just seemed like he was relying on a lot of his tics, all of these Hopkinsy things that you see in all of his films. And I just wasn't that taken in by him. I wasn't emotionally moved in the way that a lot of people described being emotionally moved. And that surprised me because I did have a relative who suffered from Alzheimer's and I thought that, oh, this is going to represent that experience and I'm going to be connecting to it on that level and I didn't. Yeah, okay, interesting. Yeah, and again, I just thought it was just, it was just okay. I mean, I, I liked it better. That I, I thought Mank and Judas had some problems where I, I didn't feel like they should have been in there as as Best Picture nominees. They, I don't look at them as Best Picture nominees. We haven't talked about the trial yet. I had that as my six, and the father is my five, and I kind of grouped the two of those together. And, well, I guess I'll expand on that when we talk trial. But uh, we're up to our top fours now. So this is each of our top fours. And uh, Zita, what was your number four? So at four, I have Judas and the Black Messiah. Nice. Okay, so it's time to talk uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Joey, I'll let you lead off with that. What were your thoughts on this one? You had that one at six. I had it at number six. Um, I had it at number five. I had Trial of Chicago 7. Um, I, I really liked it. I think it had flaws. I, I think a lot of my issues were... I, I think the direction was lacking a lot, where I think someone stronger with more clear of a vision would have kind of brought it more... Made it more realized, made it more full circle, made everything matter a little bit more because it's such an important time in history. I mean, it's such an important time in history that two movies are referencing it that I think it didn't feel as important as it should have. A better director might have brought it up to another level where I think the performances of Daniel Kluya and Lakeith Stanfield really held this together and really and made me really like it. Um, um, yeah, I'm glad you said that, Joe, because that was kind of, I want to say, probably my biggest issue with it is it totally reeked of having an amateur director. Right. That was my it problem. It really did. It looked like a guy who was in the early part of his career who may end up being a fine director and we may look back on and he's, you know, he'll learn from this and, and come through with uh, an, another award-winning film. I just saw it while I was watching it and it distracted me. And between that and some of the performances that I didn't love, 
uh, it was just, it was incomplete for me. So that's why I had those two, both that and Mank is the ones that I just did not think belonged in this lineup. See, I'm ha- I think this deserves a nomination 100%. Um, because I just think that, th- I just think that some of the weightiness got lost. And Zita, this was your number four. So why did, uh, why did you think this one fit in there? Why did you think it almost uh, meddled there? Yeah, it's meddling. It does have some performances that I really like. I I think it's probably worth watching, but as you two pointed out, it doesn't feel like it's the best that it could have been. There's a lot of potential Mm. on display, but it seems like the people working behind it didn't have enough experience to really know what they were working with. Yeah, and can we talk about how awful Martin Sheen was in it? I mean, he looked like he looked like first of all, he looked it was like the he was, worst makeup I've ever he seen. He looked like that. he was pumped full of formaldehyde. <laughs> it looked like he rose out of the coffin at his own wake. It looked like I did his movie. makeup. It oh looked, my goodness! It looked like I was I was given some plastic, and someone told me to make Martin Sheen look like someone else because that that hurt uh, and that really terrible. took me out of it. Because I, I think there yeah, was... I mean, I was like. Oh, Martin Sheen is this. Oh, Martin Sheen is in this. Ooh, oh God, go back, go back to where, you, go back to where you were. Whatever, go back to the commercials. Whatever amount of money they gave Martin Sheen to come in and step in and do this was not enough because it was bad. And I did, I did love Jesse Plemons in it though. I thought he was yeah, great. Jesse Plemons was really good. He was, he was really good. Um, and I thought his character was cool, and you saw different things of it. And I think, it, I think him and Lakeith Stanfield had a really good chemistry that I enjoyed. Okay, so that was Zeta. That was your four. Uh, Joey, we're up to you. Joey, what was your four? So this is the part of the rankings where it goes from Mank, I didn't like. Trial of Chicago 7, we'll talk about it a little. I liked a lot. Jews and Black Messiah, big fan. This gets to the point of the movies where I really like these movies. Um, and my number four is Minari. Okay. Minari is also my number four. Zita, you had that one a little higher? Yes, I did. Okay, so we'll hold I off on we'll hold off on on Minari talk. And we'll head into our uh, our gold, silver, bronze medals here. Zita, I'll let you go first here. What was your number three? Well, this is sort of embarrassing, but it's the trial of the Chicago 7. Wow, okay. It's okay. trial time. Wow. It's trial 7 time. So, no, I'm a little surprised. By, uh, I'm a little surprised because I didn't, I didn't get the impression that you loved this movie. Um, so, But you liked it enough for it to get your bronze medal here. What, uh, what about the trial of Chicago 7 lifted it? Over the other uh, the other five films, I think for me it's not a great film by any means, but I do think it does a decent job of laying out all of the factors that eventually led to this court case. And this is one I referenced: the father feeling like less than the sum of its parts. The trial of the Chicago Seven feels like more than the sum of its parts, where each element of the production, I can identify a flaw. Mm -hmm. And yet you bring them together and you get a relatively entertaining television movie-ish depiction of this important historical event. And it was just a straight down the middle three-star movie for me. There were things that I really liked. I enjoyed Michael Keaton's cameo. But then on the other hand, the lack of attention that is paid to the involvement of the Black Panthers in this case was really disappointing. Mm -hmm. So I was just constantly at war with myself as I watched it. And I think that's why it ended up somewhere in the middle, sort of on the higher end, but it's not great. Yeah. Okay. I think that's, that's pretty well said. Um, Joey, you had that one. Where did you have that one, Joe? 
I had that one as number six. Okay, so that was that was on the lower end for you. Yeah. Um, so wh why don't you get since you had it on the lower end? I I, uh, I had that one as my uh, six out of eight too. Right, but I was but you had a six out of seven. Out of seven. Yeah. So what what was what what held that back below some of the others for you? So I went into that. I held off watching that for a long time because I wasn't interested. Um, I just think there's a lot of for whatever reason I just wasn't into it. Um, I liked it a lot more than I expected. Michael Keaton, once again, just comes in and crushes it, as Michael Keaton does. I, I just think there was pieces missing where I think it was good. I think I actually really liked Eddie Redmayne in it. Um, I thought he was really interesting and um, good. Interesting and good. I how to use words. Um, I, th <laughs> I think he was really interesting and he did a really good job. Um, but I just think as a whole, it while it was much better than I thought, um, when comparing it with the movie's Above it, I just think it... I would only probably recommend this to somebody if they were super knowledgeable about the facts of the story already. I don't think I'd go, you know, separate on it and let it go because I just think ultimately it doesn't hold up that way. Hmm. Yeah, for for me, this was very much middling for me. Like, I I, I liked it. Like, I didn't mm -hmm. dislike it. I really didn't. I, like I said, I, I thought the two that didn't belong for me were Mank and Judas uh, I had the trial next, but I think it's a fine Best Picture nominee. Uh, sure. I, it fits in there. I was entertained the whole way. I thought it was another one where I thought maybe I was going to be annoyed by it, and I dug it. Uh, I loved all the. I loved the the ensemble cast of uh, the guy who played Arthur Lee Allen in in Zodiac. Yes, um, yeah, it was great in it, and um, it was an American Horror Story. Yeah, Harry, my, uh, just yeah, Michael Michael Keaton, as you mentioned, Zeta was really good. And uh, they had a, a, a reoccurring character from Burn Notice was in there too, which I uh, always, always left. And, and a BPC there. connection. Uh, the guy who played Jerry, his big, big other role was uh, Man for All Seasons on Broadway. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. Oh, boy. Okay. So really bringing back the, you know, best picture cast the war. Yeah. So it, it just was kind of one of those, like the father, I'm cool with it being part of the lineup, you know. If it wins, that's when I'll start to panic. But, you know, um, I'm good with it just kind of being in there. So I had it at six slightly. I had the father slightly above it. Um, and, and that's where it slotted in for me. So, uh, Joey, what was your number three? My number three was Sound of Metal. Wow, okay. So I have the Sound of Metal higher. Zita, do you have the Sound of Metal higher? I yeah. Right, yeah, I do. Okay. So we'll head to our silver, silver medals here. Joey, we'll uh, go with you first. What was your silver medal here? So my number two was Nomadland. I guess, yeah, I, I forgot to say Nomadland was my number three. So, uh, yeah, so I had Nomadland at three. You have it at two. Uh, Zita, you had that a little lower. What was that for you? It was six. Six. Okay, so let's talk Nomadland. Joey had it at two. I had it at three. Zita had it at six. Joey, why was this your runner-up for Best Picture for you? You know, it's based off of a book. I haven't read the book, but I, I think for a movie that could have been... This could have been bad in the wrong hands. I think it's just a really beautiful, well-done movie that made me care about a lot of people who I didn't... If I would have read a, read you know everything on paper, I probably would have rolled my eyes, but it made me really care about a lot of these people, and very much so. So I, I think it was a really good movie, and I think Francis Gordon did a really, well, really, really excellent job. I didn't have an immediate reaction to it. It was a movie that I watched, and I had to sit with a little bit and really think about, which is a good thing, I think. So, this is a movie that is likely to win Best Picture, we think. It's kind of won a lot of the precursors, and it seems like the, the favorite at this point. 
Zita, you had this one a little lower here. What uh, kept this out of the top, the, the top running for you? I just never found it that engrossing. As you referenced, I was often bored by it, which is a real shame. There were things that I liked about it. I liked the cinematography. It wasn't as bad as it could have been, but I didn't get all of the fuss. It was forgettable to me. I think that this is the type of movie too, and I've said this to, to some of my friends in talking about it after I saw it, where I wouldn't rush to recommend it to people. No. Because I don't, I don't think that everyone is going to love it. it, it you kind of have to be invested in it and you have to get lost in it. And you have to put your phone if, down. You're, if you're unable to do that, you may not appreciate it. And I, I personally, the things I loved about Nomadland was, and I mentioned already, I loved Francis McDormand's restrained performance. I loved the, that it highlighted a part of America that is just not usually shown to us. You know, when, when they show us Nevada, they show us Vegas. Right. They don't show us like the badlands of, uh, you know, of <laughs> Nevada and, and out in the desert. And it's, it's, there are people who are living that life. And I don't think that we get that in film and TV a lot. So that, I had fun with that. I, I like outdoorsy types of movies. You know, I, I like like a 127 hours where someone could be like, how could you watch a movie about a guy who just gets stuck behind a rock and then cuts his arm off? Well, it's like, well, yeah, but there's more to it than that. There's the, the scene around him and what brings him out there and what, and what goes on. And I, I, a lot, oddly enough, a lot of, of Nomadland brought me back to 127 hours. Interesting. And um, her, and it, I, the other thing I really like too is that it brought out a lot of themes for anyone who wanted to connect with, they could connect with, but you didn't have to connect with everything that was there. And it, it brought up grief and it brought up family and it brought up uh, nature and it brought up uh, consumerism. And a lot of, a, a lot of those, those items were there for you if you wanted them. So I, I suppose one day there probably will be a Nomadland episode <laughs> that we'll go deeper into this with because it seems like it, it may win. But uh, I guess we'll get there when we do. But I, I totally get anyone who doesn't like it. Sure, yes. I, 100%. I could see both sides of it for sure. Yeah. Um, so, Joey, your runner-up was Nomadland. Yep. Catherine, what was your runner-up for Best Picture this year? So I had Minari. Oh, boy. Oh, nice. Okay, so let's talk Minari. Minari was my four. Joey, Minari was also your also. four. Uh, Zita, this is your runner-up. Why did you feel that this was the runner-up for Best Picture? Well, I think it's told a very simple story but it did it well and when we talk about the direction I think that's probably its chief strength it's handled in a melodramatic way I was almost reminded of some of those family melodramas that you got in the 40s something like One Foot in Heaven it felt very similar to that where there is this emphasis on family dynamics and how the family can change when you introduce a new member or bring somebody back. And Lee Isaac Chan does seem to be fascinated by that. And he hands a lot of the responsibility over to the performers. And they, for the most part, do a very good job. The actress who played the wife really impressed me. Yes, she was good. I don't think it's a great movie, but I was happy to see it nominated. Yeah, I hear you. Um... I actually, I wish this came out separate year than Nomadland. I think that if I saw this first, maybe I liked it more. Just the way, I think they was just, they both have that very slow reserve pacing, which I appreciate a lot. 
But I think having both of... They're very different movies. But I think that kind of hurt it, which might be ridiculous. But in my mind, when I was going back and forth with it, that, that really got up because... I thought Minari was really good. It was it was smart. You cared a lot about these people. And I also think it didn't always... You know, what you expected didn't always come true. And, you know, Mountain Dew being healthy water from the mountain. <laughs> That's just, great. Just that fantastic. Also, where are these giant glass Mountain Dew bottles? I gotta get. I guess I they had know, them in man. the uh, in the eighties. Or... I'm gonna go find some antique shops and find one because I want that. Very cool. Um, so Minari Joey, I'm gonna couple off of what you said. I had the same thought with it. I think a, a, a Nomadland stole a lot of its thunder yeah. for me. I also, and I think we brought I brought this up in the Annie Hall episode that we did. It's I'm so tired of getting these California movies. They're just showing us California all the time and. And, you know, give me some other states. And I like that you got uh, Arkansas. Yeah. You know, you got a different state. And life, yeah, 80s Arkansas. (laughs) That's something you just don't see. So I appreciated that a lot. I thought the story itself was, was, it kind of was like reminiscent of like a, like a short story or, or like a W.W. Jacobs or an O. Henry, you know, like a Gift of the Magi or uh, (laughs) the Monkey's Paw or something like that. Like it, where it, it had specific turns and it was trying to say something, and there was uh, symbolism that you could grasp. And there was enough to the movie that I said to myself, oh, if I'm going to go back and watch this, I could go and get something out of this. Right. You know? um, and it had Will Patton. And it had a great Will Patton performance, too. So, <laughs> admirable performances. Uh, a movie I liked a lot. A movie I'm super happy was recognized here. It just fell a little short from the other three movies ahead of it that all emotionally, powerfully impacted me. And that would be the one thing that Minari fell a little short of, is it didn't really hit me where it hurt. I think the grandmother got me most, most emotionally, where I think from reading a lot of people, I think the dad, who I think did a wonderful job, but I think emotionally I, I didn't get that fully, where the grandmother really got me, though. And I thought, yeah, the mom, you said it too, one of you guys said it, is Captain the mom, yeah, said, yeah, the mom's the mom performance was, was my favorite of the, of the crew. I thought she that great. she was left out of the mix a little bit there. Yeah, she was very good. The kids were good. And, you know, BPC, we talk about, we, we, we're not always friendly to kid actors because, you know, a lot of them are, you know, the bottom half of the Sound of Music kids and just... Bad. They were great. The kids were great. The kids were fantastic. Yeah, the kids are great. So we're going to go to, uh, well, my runner-up. Yeah, my runner-up is um, Promising Young Woman was my runner-up. I have that uh, higher. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Joey has it higher. I, ha- I have Promising Young Woman as my, uh, as my best picture runner-up this year. Joey... I'm guessing, based on the fact you have no movies left, Promising Young Woman was your winner. Yeah, Promising Young Woman is what I am, you know, what should win is I think Promising Young Woman should win. Should win Best Picture. Okay, and Catherine, you had that, which slot did you have that in? So I had Promising Young Woman at fifth. At at your fifth slot, okay. And it was my runner-up. So, Joey, why would you give Best Picture to Promising Young Woman uh, for the year of 2020 in the award show of 2021? So I... If you've heard me talk, I talk a lot about things of trauma and grief. Many other things related. Yes. That, that is a big topic of mine. It's, it's so like your professional life's invested in it. And exactly. Yeah, it's it's been a, I've spent an absurd amount of hours talking about grief and trauma and working with trauma and treating trauma and all these things. It's, it's, it's important to me. And I think while this is clearly an exaggerated effort, but the, but the same way, Zita, you had said that, you know, in it, all men are this. I think that is at the same level of exaggeration of, of her grief. It, it's still really important collateral grief and what, you know, what happened to her friend. And, but 
what the side effects of that happened to her in her life. And I just think it hits so many different things and the family and the, you know, her family versus the friend's family. And I think the characters were good. I think that is probably what McLovin from Superbad grew up to be. A guy talk, doing cocaine while talking about the book he's writing. Well, that's, inter- <laughs> that's an interesting thought, too. Is, yeah. is, you know, is, that, is that a sequel to I the think, McLovin character? Yes, I think his name is, I think he still has that ID and he is still pining for the redhead girl from Superbad. <laughs> and, but I, I just, wow. and I think Carrie Mulligan did a good job. And Bo Burnham, whose stand-up comedy I don't like, who the best thing that he's ever been in, in my mind, was Parks and Rec. As the you know the jerk musician who I, I thought was good in this, the music was fantastic. When at, you know Britney Spears, Toxic played with strings. I mean, just talk about everything was hitting so much for me that I, I, yeah, their their music in it was really really yeah poignant. I and thought I, I thought the the soundtrack crushed. They had some power needle drops yep. that. Uh, really, really made the movie pop to me, and I I would easily give this one a best picture win in my mind, no doubt. If it wasn't for the one other movie sure. that that just affected me a little more, that I thought was just all around a better movie, or just maybe all around a better best picture winner, um, because I think Promising Young Woman is going to stand the test of time. I think years from now, people will look back at that as one of I the agree. movies of 2020 that that lasts. You know, I may be wrong with that. That that statement may not age well. But uh, that would be my prediction that I yeah. think uh, there was just a lot of a lot of filmmaking tactics that really worked for me. I think they nailed it. And I, I um, actually I, I golfed the other day with, uh, you know, uh, other host, uh, you know, Rob Bobcat. And I suggested promising a woman to him. And he was like, what's it about? I was like, I'm not going to tell you. I'm just going to tell you yeah. you need to go watch it. And he was like, oh, and I think, you know, that says a lot. Like, I didn't feel the need to. Oh, it's on. Yeah, there's, it's, it's definitely a movie to just put on. So, Zita, you mentioned a little bit already about why you, you weren't in love with it. If that won Best Picture this year, what would be the reasons that you'd look at and say, uh, I don't think that was a worthy winner? In an ideal world, none of these movies would be winning Best Picture just because <laughs> <laughs> Wow, my, heel statement. My, my, my Best of the Year list, personally. I think Promising Young Woman out of all of the nominees, I would be fine with it. At least it would be an interesting choice. As much as I ranked The Trial of the Chicago 7 higher than it, I do think it would be more complicated if we had Promising Young Woman winning. We would consider, oh, what caused that? And hopefully they would start rewarding more films that try to target the sort of issues that Promising Young Woman tries to talk about instead of, well, they typically wait about 10, 15 years to make movies about issues that were current mm-hmm. 10 years ago. And then they go, oh, we're so brave by tackling something that everybody <laughs> has true. already That's... made up their mind about. Sure. So if they were trying to, in the moment, talk about something important, that would be a positive step. So I can't say that I would be too upset if it did win. Yeah, okay, well said. And um, so, Joey, your Best Picture winner was Promising Young Woman. And if I did my math properly, Zita, you and I have the same number one. Uh, And your Best Picture winner was? Sound of Metal. Also mine, Sound of Metal, would be Best Picture for me. Zita, I'll let you go first. Why do you think this should take home the prize for the year of 2020? I think it's just a, a very fine piece of work and 
As I already spoke about, I do think it really hits home during the last few scenes that this is different to most dramas about somebody having to deal with a disability. I would be very happy if it took the top prize and I just think it would be positive to have something that feels a bit less formulaic than something like The Trial of the Chicago 7 winning. Yeah, absolutely. And Zita, uh, I know you have to go, so we're going to uh, to say goodbye to you. I want to thank you so much for joining us. This was awesome. This is a great thing. Hopefully, it's something we could do again next year. Uh, again, the, the 300 Passions podcast. Uh, just let us know where to find that again on Twitter. 300 Passions. 300 Passions on Twitter. Absolutely. This was a blast. Thank you so much uh, for, for hanging with us. And we'll uh, I'm sure we'll hear from you for the upcoming episodes for sure. Great. Thank you. Thank so you so much, Zita. Thank you, Zita. All right, Zita says goodbye, but uh, I want to give you my thoughts on on yeah I mean, on uh, Sound of Metal here. I mentioned that this was the movie that kind of hit me the hardest, and that's always going to more or less be what I go with with movies or, or where I lean with movies. There's movies that are entertaining that suck you in, that give you a good a good two hours of time that you never looked at your watch, and then there's other movies that you take a step back and, and make you think about things. And The Sound of Metal takes something that the average person has and doesn't think about having. It's just something that they just have a part of them, and that's hearing. Right. You don't think, oh, you know, I'm lucky to, to be someone who can hear. And the movie takes that away from you. Hearing could be anything. In The Sound of Metal, it's, it's your hearing. Could have been your sight. Could have been your, the use of your legs. Could have been your arm. Could have been your, all your loved ones. Whatever it is, to put a movie together that effectively does that and match it with some brilliant performances, uh, an incredible script, master sound mixing, mm. uh, which is, yeah, and I've said to people, you know, there's two movies in my life that I've watched and noticed how incredible the sound impacted the movie. Sound of Metal is one, Saving Private Ryan is the other. That's um, fair. They're just, they're just great. Uh, and it deserves every accolade that it'll it, it, it'll get for that, and it as it should take home the sound awards. Oh. I heard somewhere that um, that a movie with uh, I don't know I'm I'm kind of going off cuff with this a little <laughs> bit. Uh, movies that have sound in the title and have been nominated for a sound award have never lost. <laughs> so I, don't know I love it. If that's just the Academy seeing sound and sound and going, yep, this one. That's the trick. But listen, I I think so. One. Riz Ahmed is my MVP for this whole 2020 movies, right? Yeah. I think the movie's fantastic. I, I, I loved it very much. When I finished watching it, I, it was, I think I watched it on like a Thursday night. It finished at like midnight. I texted like 20 people and I was like, just, you need to watch this. This, this is the next thing you need to watch. So definitely would, you know, if that wins, I'd be super excited because I think the first part when the sound goes out and he's sell, trying to sell the t-shirts and can't hear and it's just... You feel alone with this poor guy. Yeah, and 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 the, how quickly the deterioration happens. Yeah, um, it's it's a movie that I wish would win Best Picture. I really do, and I can say the same about Promising Young Woman. I mean, I like I said before, I, I kind of group these into into three tiers, and with one movie falling in between the tiers, and uh, that that the lower tier of movies that I. Just, I don't think should have been in this lineup. And that uh, there's two of them. It was Mank and Judas. Then the next group is okay with them being Best Picture nominees. But you know what? They just, I, they don't think they need to be any more than that. And that's The Trial and The Father. Um, 
the last group is movies that have emotionally impacted me that I think would make great winners. Mm-hmm. And that is Sound of Metal, Promising Young Woman, and Nomadland. Minari fits... It's a floater between that top category and the second Minari category. Minari got screwed by Nomadland. Yeah, I think all of the pieces are there. There's just There was just like a slight emotional disconnect there for me that just kept it out of that um, I would be proud for it to win Best Picture sure. kind of thing. If it did win, I'd, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't hate it. I wouldn't hate it, but yeah, it just wouldn't be my choice. But and Listen, you know, when we go, I want Promising Young Woman, that's my number one. But if just talking about when we go, when we get to do a deep dive on one of these episodes and we really get to say, like, what are we doing? I want to do a deep dive episode on Promising Young Woman or Sound of Metal above, you know. We'll find a way to get there, I'm if, sure. If that's how we're ranking them, those are one and those are one and one A, one B. All right, so to give you a little recap here, we'll do Catherine's, uh, Catherine's first. So Catherine, her eight was Mank, her seven was The Father. Her six was Nomadland. Her five was Promising Young Woman. Her four was Judas and the Black Messiah. Her third was The Trial of Chicago 7. Her second was Minari. And her best picture winner was The Sound of Metal. Joey, why don't you give us a recap of yours? Yeah, so I did not see The Father, so that is not ranked. Number seven, Mank. Six, Trial of the Chicago 7. Number five, Judas and the Black Messiah. Four, Minari. Three, Sound of Metal. Two, Nomadland. And for the winner of the 2021 Oscar, Promising Young Woman. All right, and my rankings were eight, Mank. Seven, Judas and the Black Messiah. Six, The Trial of the Chicago Seven. Five, The Father. Four, Minari. Three, Nomadland. Two, the runner-up for Best Picture would be Promising Young Woman. And one, in my opinion, the movie that should win Best Picture for the year of 2020 at the 2021 ceremony would be The Sound of Metal. So we did a nice uh, a nice job there, Joe. I, I had fun doing this. This is some, something we should figure out every year. I think. Yeah, yeah, this was awesome. And I mean, we've been teasing... Zita for a year and a half. I mean, she's for a year and a half. She's been stumping us with questions. So I'm happy that we got her on here. That everybody got you know the BPC crew gets to meet her, and hopefully people go listen to 300 Passions. Um, the episodes we're on, the episodes we're not on, because there's some really good episodes. And um, you know, she was awesome. I think this she's was, great. She this crushed was, it today. Yeah, yeah. And we got to do a what should win, and you know that's against our nature at this point. But uh, it was yes, fun. it is. It was a good to flip the script a little bit. What what should win? That being said, we appreciate all of you listening, especially if you've made it to this point of the podcast. Took this little break from our our regular schedule with us. You can find us on our social media accounts at Best Picture Cast. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We are on Instagram. We do these tournaments. From time to time, we just, I think by the time that this comes out, we will uh, have completed our animation tournament. Yeah, hopefully Spider-Verse is the next upcoming episode <laughs> to torture Kieran and make me so profoundly happy. You'll know the answer to that by the time you hear this, <laughs> and I hope that it's not that. Um, but yes, yeah, so uh, follow us on those on those accounts. We, we always try to have a lot of fun on Twitter. We don't take ourselves too seriously. Not That's one all. of the big things with this is, you know, we're, we're, not, uh, we're not Roger Ebert. You know, we're not sitting here uh, just issuing the, the word of God statements about these movies. We like movies. We like talking about movies. And we enjoy each other's company. So 
we uh, have a good time talking about about this stuff, and we hope that you have a good time listening. And send us what you think wins. If you you know, let us know if you disagree. If you you know really hate that we knock something out, or you really love Mank, you know, let us know because we you know we, we rank some things where there were some categories we're all on the same page. Some. I mean, supporting actress, we all pick something different. So we want to hear from you guys, too, where you're at, because that's yeah, interesting. And I'll always say that, is please give us the feedback. It helps us. Uh, we are not stuck up. We'll always respond, whether oh, yeah. it's you DM, DM us on Twitter, add us on Twitter. Write us at our email, which we didn't mention, is bestpicturepodcast at yahoo.com. Our, our social medias are all at bestpicturecast. We always respond. So if you've been listening to us and you just didn't, you know, don't don't feel like getting involved, that's that's fine too. You know, that's that's cool too. We love that. We're just uh, happy that we're out there talking to you, to to you out there. So, Joey, any closing thoughts here? You know, for a weird year, where at listen, uh, about a year ago, I, I made a joke to somebody that Impractical Jokers was going to be the only movie out this year and was going to win everything, and I was all for it because I, I I enjoy the Impractical Jokers a great deal. But um, it was a weird year. I think that some very cool, interesting movies came out. And I think movies that normally don't get love are, are really getting some attention. And I, I think the fact that we get there's a chance that we get to see A Promising Young Woman or a Sound of Metal win would be, you know, really fantastic and really special. There's just some special movies here amongst the Manx. For sure. I... I uh... I'm looking forward to seeing the awards. I mean, we'll, you know, we'll, this, at some point when you're listening to this, this will be a very dated episode and you'll know who won. But I think that was one of our things here is we just wanted to give you a th- thoughts on what we took out of this year. It right. wasn't, there's not a predictions stuff. There's plenty of prediction stuff out there. Um, that's what we stuff, like. Yeah, that's exactly right. So let us know what you think. Thanks again. Ooh. We're looking, yeah, we're looking forward to one of these movies being a best picture cast episode. It's going to be great to find out who it's going to be. Thank you so much. We will see you next week. Joey, I think the next time we hear from you, we'll probably be at the rankings episode, right? We'll be at the end of our season, season two. Rankings episode. How how do you get better than that? Yeah, we're going to rank all the movies that we, all 15 movies we covered in season two. It's going to be a, it's going to be a trip for sure. And then we're going to try to get, because we've covered 30 movies then at that point, we're going to try to figure out where those 30 lands and uh, and do that. It'll be all five of us, the five, uh, Five guys, Grant C, Chris G, and Artie B as well. Looking forward to it. Everybody, please rate, review, subscribe. Best Picture cast. We love you so much. We'll catch you next time. Thank you. (laughs) 